like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter uh, chapter um, 34, and I will be reading uh, verses 1 through 9 of Exodus uh, chapter 34. Uh, Moses had uh, just been um, in conversation with the Lord, and his request was, Lord, uh, show me your glory. Show me your glory. What do you think you would see? If the Lord, if you made that prayer to the Lord and he were to answer it, what do you think he would do? Well, we will read uh, what the, how the Lord reveals himself and his glory uh, in these verses in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Uh, Be ready uh, by the morning and come up in the mountain to Mount Sinai, in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity on the fathers, um, of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what is God like? What is he really like? What kind of God um, do you worship? In times of of personal or church or national crisis, that's a very important, critical question to ask. Personally, we may be going through chronic pain, which brings about a unique kind of suffering. Where is God in all of this sustained pain? We go through relationships inside of our own families where there is Uh, Perhaps some distance or some disappointment, even some harmful treatment going on. And we may be deeply discouraged by that. We may also have doubts and confusion 
as we look around at our world and we see that at one point in the not-too-distant past, there was a general consensus that the commandments that we just read made sense, came from God, and is useful for directing the society, at least in some measure or other, many would say. And now some of these very commandments are viewed as immoral, to be broken. Kids, you grow up in the church. You may have ideas about God, that you see him sort of as a big policeman in the sky. And he is primarily, he's mostly the rule giver, like your mommy or daddy, but much bigger, giving you lots of rules. And you know in your heart that you break those rules. And you may have questions. Um, How could a big God really love a rule breaker like me? What, what is God like, after all? One of the things that we might do as we, as we begin to frame an answer to that question is to consider, consider the majesty of what he has made. Just this past Friday, after settling Jackie and John in their, in their place, to, to an extent, um, we took a ride, the foothills, coming right up to their neighborhood, and, and just within a few minutes... Uh, in the glorious uh, Rocky Mountains. And you see these sheer cliffs dropping off into green valleys in a way that you just don't see um, east of the Mississippi. It's a beautiful and majestic thing. And we might be tempted to think that the way to really get a grip at the glory of God is to praise Him as the Creator. And certainly that's what God would do, wouldn't He? He wants to impress you. Praise me as the That's how you see my glory. But remember what Jesus said. If you want to know my heart, we see this in Matthew chapter 11. The first thing that Jesus wants you to get about him is that he is gentle and lowly in heart, he is tender towards broken people. That's what he wants you to know. Moses had asked of the Lord in verse 18, chapter 33, please, what a, what a prayer, please, show me your glory. Show me what you're really like. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And, and these are the words that he says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord... The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. My theme this morning may sound strange, but it is this. Uh, that you would grasp by the Spirit of God that we together in these moments under the teaching of God's Word and receiving the sacrament that we would get that God is always better than we imagine. He's always better 
than we imagine. And to get at this, I just want to take a look at the various phrases in, in, in verse 6. The, verse 6, the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious. Merciful and first thing out of his mouth to describe what God is like. Merciful and gracious. Our instincts, much like our kids might, might have as well, our first instincts are that God is a judge. He is a big policeman. He is always watching us. He is always measuring what we do. He is keeping score um, as, as he adds up those wrong things that we do and we will have to pay for it. That is our instincts. And what shocks us about his glory is mercy, not judgment. The glory of God is seen in his goodness. Uh, Psalm 138 puts it this way. The great glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is that he regards the lowly. He is high, but he regards us down here. He is holy, but he has mercy for us in the coldness of our hearts. He is righteous, but he remembers us even in our habitual sin. At your worst and at your weakest and at your most desperate, his heart is for the brokenhearted. Again, the first words that, uh, that we might expect him to say as he identifies himself. If, if merciful and, and gracious do not come to mind, what we might expect him to say is, I am a precise God and, and I um, am scrutinizing you and measuring your behavior. That's what we might think. Or we might have the attitude that God would say something like this, I am a tolerant God, and I don't care what you do. Or I am a disappointed God, I am weary with you and frustrated with you, and we might respond to those kinds of gods and just think, why bother, and just give up. He is merciful, and he is gracious. The second thing we want to look at is that he is slow to anger. We might naturally think that God is different from that. We might naturally think that he is easily angered, uh, that his anger is is pent up, uh, and it is um, ready to rush out like a dam that is breaking. That, that it is it is building up against us. We might think that he is slow to be merciful and that he spoons out mercy very, very, in a very chintzy kind of way, as long as we deserve it, as long as we're acting properly. That he gives us that little bit of extra mercy that we need. But of course, the very opposite is the case. Um, His mercy opens up upon us like the Hoover Dam at the slightest need that we have. Uh, the, the phrase behind this, uh, the, the phrase behind this slow to anger uh, is the idea of being long of nostrils. Long of nostrils. Uh, what, what does that mean? It, uh, imagine imagine a, a bull at Cowtown um, pawing the ground and 
sides heaving uh, with his breath, his nostrils flared, and he's getting ready to charge. And you would call that a short-nosed bull. He's got a short fuse and he's ready to come after you. God is not like that. God is long of nostrils, a long fuse, slow to anger, not simply looking for an infraction so that he can blow the whistle on you. It takes much to provoke his anger. He puts up with a lot in Israel. Remember, they had just been circling around the golden calf, and he had brought some wrath against them for that. But the nation survived. He was, he was merciful to them. His anger had to be provoked. His mercy naturally gushes out. Well, why that's hard for us to grasp is because we frequently do not act that way ourselves. We're frequently spring-loaded for anger. Anger is our first and our strongest response when we don't get our way. When people around us are not cooperating with what we think they should be doing, that's our response. And we think that God is like that too. Um, It has been said, and I think wisely so, that the entire Bible is given to us in order to deconstruct our natural inclinations about God, our natural thoughts and feelings about God, what God is like. And here God identifies himself. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and now abounding um, in steadfast love and faithfulness. And of course, behind this is that great Hebrew uh, word of, of hesed, where God binds himself to his covenant people. He gladly marries his covenant people and commits himself to them with an unbreakable bond. And he, in the course of that, in the course of, of a bride going astray, never shakes his head, never, never says, oh, I'm just going to dismiss her. I'm, I'm finished with her. L- listen, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus does not love his church because we are beautiful. That is not why he loves you. But because he loves you, he will make you beautiful, finally glorified in heaven. But he does not love you less now than he will in glory. Even as we sit here, even as we sit here with all the things going on in our own hearts that we, at the bottom believe might disqualify us for his favor. He won't harden his heart. He won't forsake his bride. He even redeems your messes and uses them for your good. Because you see his faithfulness even when you blow it. You see that he continues to be a God of kindness and mercy. And he doesn't have just a little bit of this steadfast love, just enough to keep you from slipping away. He abounds in it. Sometimes we think that his steadfast love and his, his blessings come to us sort of, sort of like through a spigot. And, and the better we behave, the more wide open he turns that flow so that we are flooded with his grace and mercy and presence. And when we misbehave, he shuts that spigot off until it comes out drop by drop by drop on our thirsty souls. God's favor flows daily 
like the Niagara Falls upon the barrenness of your heart and mine. His faithfulness never slows to a trickle. It is steady and it is abounding. It is better than we can imagine. He shows his steadfast love to, as we saw in the commandment, and also here, uh, better than to thousands of people, but thousands of generations. That there is no expiration date on his covenant love. It is without limits. You cannot outrun his mercy. And I say this, you cannot outsin his faithfulness. He will restore you. There is no escape from his goodness. We need to hear this as well, that he does visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. We need to hear this because he is not simply a permissive parent. He's not simply a doting grandparent that just pats us on our head and lets us go and do whatever we want to do. Sin and guilt, he does, is passed down. Sin and its guilt is passed down from father to son. What do we mean by this? In your home, gentlemen, in your home, the way you treat or mistreat your your uh, wife and the mother of your children, well, sons will pick up on that and sons will disrespect their mother. That was one of, that was Kirk's rule number two. Love God was first, but the second rule was love your mother, even though she's little. <laughs> Treat her like she's big like me. Respect your mother. Wives and mothers, you may be quick to criticize. You may be quick to undermine your husband's authority. Uh, you may make snide comments or <sighs> when he says something you think is stupid. Could it happen? And your kids will see it. And children will begin to scorn, follow you in scorning, in scorning authority. But to you, do not give up hope for God's goodness far surpasses and interrupts our corruption. God rescues sinners. I want to make two further observations about this text as we, as we, um, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And the first is this, that we see We see what Moses did not see. We see the glory of God um, in the Lord's Supper. Interestingly enough, uh, in the Septuagint, the very same word that is is used uh, behind this passing by, God passing by Moses in, in Exodus, is used also in the New Testament of Jesus passing by his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. What, what's going on there? That Jesus is being identified as the great God of the Exodus. Uh, but there, this wasn't the time uh, to reveal um, his glory. We, we see this, for example, in, De- in John's Gospel, chapter 1. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, um, uh, full of grace and truth. Jesus is merciful and gracious and slow to anger. 
And it was not until chapter 12 in John that some Greeks came to the disciples and said, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And Jesus' response to, in that conversation is, now the hour has come for, for, um, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now is the time that you can see uh, the gracious and merciful act of God in person. And that occurred when Jesus was lifted up on the cross. Um, that it was the full display of his mercy and grace at that time. So one of the things that the Supper uh, provides for us at a time in our monthly meetings and, and, and enjoying this Supper, the Spirit uses the Supper as sort of a gospel drip that, that time after time after time, the message of God's grace drips into our hearts and softens up our unbelieving hearts. And, and nourishes our faith. He slowly uh, turns our hearts to believe all he says about himself is true, and it's even better than you can imagine. Uh, perhaps um, Satan's perhaps Satan's greatest win uh, in your life um, isn't tempting you to that sin that you regularly indulge in. But instead, it may be to the dark thoughts of God that lead you to want to sin. Anger can come readily into our lives and hearts lust. Um, we can become impatient of like that. Uh, we can grow in anxiety, and in all of those cases, God is neither present nor good, and so we're going to fight and scrap on our own. You see, those, those uh, sins that we commit are, are like Satan's jabs. Imagine in this, in this cosmic uh, boxing match, there's Satan's jabs to keep you ineffective as a Christian. You, you, you fall into those sins time and time again. But his knockout punch, what puts you on the mat, that knockout punch is that suspicion that God is reluctant to forgive. Your suspicion that he can't really be merciful and gracious and slow to anger and plenteous in steadfast love and faithfulness. He can't really be as good as what he says. And so oftentimes, we simply soldier on in our shame. And it's that knockout punch that keeps us on the mat. But here Jesus reminds you of his glory. This, this is what we're doing as we take the supper. We are embracing the reality that the, cre that the Creator is lifted up for the creature's sins. The, the beauty of our faith acknowledging that, that we are so fallen away from God that we, the only hope that we have is that the Creator Himself is crucified on our behalf. 
And we see in this supper the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we live. You see, here in the supper, God does not pass you by. But He stays. He visits with you. He feeds you. He restores your soul. He gives you exactly what you need today. Because he is, he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord's Supper then does give us an opportunity to repent, to confess our sins, to acknowledge that we have favored certain things in our lives better than this wonderful God. We've done that out of a, out of a, a withering sense of, the God's, of God's beauty. And the glory of his commands would turn from those. Here is the opportunity, an opportunity to confess those sins and then leave them at the foot of the cross and then soak in this grace and mercy. This, my friends, is where we're able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's point number one. And secondly is this to consider that the way any family is changed, to consider the way that any church family is changed, any individual is changed, it is through beholding the beauty of God as this one who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger. I, I, I would ask you, um, and I, I well, a- ask you, um, do, do you ever see yourself acting like one of those short-nosed bulls down at, down at Cowtown? <laughs> do you ever see yourself as just responding way too quickly and way too strongly and in a way that crushes the people around you? Are, are you a short-fused person? We need to remember and often do that anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires. But what we need to see as well, that in the confession of sin, we confess not only that episode of anger, but we consider, we confess to the Lord that we have turned from trusting in His steadfast love and using the wicked tool of our own anger to get people to do what we want. That's the wickedness of it. The more you see of God's mercy the more you hate your own quickness to anger, the more you get God's mercy and grace, the miracle of the Spirit happens, you become slow to anger and plenteous in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's that good. Let's pray. Lord God, we, um, we come uh, here today uh, to worship you in, in uh, your truth and in the beauty of that truth. And so we are, are asking this day that you would be at work uh, in the hearts of each one of us, that we would behold you uh, purely and truthfully as you have revealed yourself to us. 
in these words from Exodus 34, but also in the glory of the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that uh, as we um, receive, prepare to receive this supper, that you would, um, you would persuade us by the spirit of, your, of the sufficiency of your steadfast love, your faithfulness, that you have more than enough for each one of us here, and for that we are both humbled and joyful. So we praise you today. We praise you. In the precious name of our Savior. Amen. Amen.